Hello, everyone. Yes. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub, episode 111. Today, we are going to be looking back at the month of April, and we're going to be discussing some of the conversations we had with our guests, as well as Dave's adventure in Hanover Messi that ended a week ago, which was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to discussing that, asking Dave a couple of questions. I think we'll do it interview style where I ask Dave a few things. But before we get into that, I did want to recap the conversations because I think the theme was interesting. We had a lot of really good conversation with people, including even this week. Dave, if I can let you kick off the first conversation we had was with Vatsal from Litmus. And they are, by the way, the ones sponsoring this month. So I wanted to thank them once again. But what were your thoughts on the first conversation we had this month? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I should say I have been very lucky to have many conversations with Vatsal. So as we were getting ready to go recap this, I wanted to go back and think about what we talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, on my side, one of the major things that, that I appreciated of having the conversation with Vatsal was how open and honest he was of, hey, I think Litmus is now like seven years old. But in the beginning, it was very much a an almost struggle to find a product market fit. They knew that there was a reason and a need to go build what we now know as the Litmus platform, what many people are building a variety of variations and flavor of data ops platforms. But I think Watsal's kind of comment was, you're going to go talk to 50 people and 49 of those first 50 people are going to tell you no that's not what we want. So I find that it's very interesting. I thought that it was a really good conversation that Vlad, Vlad, did you just post your own hello everyone comment from the chat onto I did onto the stream. People okay. can chat okay. to both me and you in live, both on LinkedIn and YouTube, and ask us questions in real time. That they can. And Vlad might even post it. He'll certainly post his responses to your comments. But no, I thought it was a really good conversation. And then I really liked I really liked the conversation talking about solutions with Vatsal on how they were allowing people to go build use cases. Now, as to if those use cases are going to be fully scalable internally to the client versus if they're going to go have a systems integrator or a solutions provider go provide those. I think that those are two different questions, but being able to go have that visual interface when everyone here knows Vlad loves Node-RED, right? They've got a flavor of Node-RED of interface. I am a very visual person. So I appreciate basically anyone being able to go on and immediately go and play with the platform, go make proofs of concepts and everything along those lines. What were what were your big takeaways, Vlad? Yeah, I like the conversation we had with him, especially that he's been working on the startup for a while now. I think he discussed a couple of projects, how they went. So I certainly appreciate those stories. And I think, as you mentioned, the fact that he was fairly candid that they didn't have everything figured out. I think that. In many instances with startups, you see the end result, but he was willing to talk to us that it was very challenging at the beginning. And I think we've talked about this a number of times that in the industrial space, there's so many different protocols. And I remember the comment that he made is that when people would ask them, are you compatible with this protocol? They would pretty much have to say yes to everything. And then they would have to scramble to develop that interface as soon as possible because I guess that's just the reality of our industry. And I think that anyone who is either building hardware or software needs to be aware 
of that reality, I guess, if I want to put it that way. But any in any case, I think it was a good conversation. I personally would still like to see a bit of a demo for Litmus. I think I have a really clear idea based on that conversation what the platform has to offer. But I do hope that we get Vatsal back uh, on the show at some point in time where he can maybe walk us through, maybe do a live build. And I think that would be interesting for me to see, especially as like I've worked on some data solutions that were a little bit more, I want to say like closed, how to say like closed and custom in, in nature. So I like the fact that when he mentioned this on the conversation that you can pretty much sign up to Litmus and you are able to deploy this internally by yourself, or you could reach out to them to work on the solution. So I think that is certainly something that we're seeing more and more of in the industrial space, but I don't think enough of that, those Absolutely. would be my comments. I will say, Vlad, after having seen five or six days worth of demos and doing live builds with them, you would absolutely love you, you would absolutely love the platform and you'd just go down a rabbit hole and we'd miss 12 shows because you're just going in and playing on the platform and, and not talking to the people here but no again thank you to Vatsal for coming on and chatting we will absolutely have to continue the conversation at some point in the near future beyond that next we move to kevin what were your thoughts on kevin coming from the hyperscaler background yeah what were your thoughts on kevin and the conversation we had with him yeah so i think it was interesting i think that our focus in that conversation was very centric on ai and machine learning i certainly understood very quickly that kevin knows what he's talking about we talked about architecture we talked about potential solutions we talked about how the projects are actually executed in real life so i think that it brought a different perspective which was i want to say like i said on one side it was very we can find these solutions that we have not necessarily always defined through ai and ml but he was also very pragmatic about it right like he talked a lot about how we need to take one step at a time we really need to get contextualized data i think he made a lot of points about the necessity of how to say it, like getting your infrastructure right before you can apply ai and ml but he gave a few examples as well of projects that i thought were really interesting so i certainly appreciate his expertise i really hope he finds something a really good opportunity after Google. So I think he's probably going to announce it like any time now. And I think he mentioned he had some very solid leads. So it's going to be really interesting what he does in our space. Absolutely. I enjoyed having the conversation with Kevin. I am almost willing to go call him a reformed hyperscaler, but we will have to go see where where Kevin does move to, where Kevin does move to next. But I thought it's really interesting, right? I think that if we can take a half a step back and just have a larger hyperscaler conversation, right? Up until, I don't know, January-ish, when we had like large layoffs from the Microsoft, from the Google, from the EW, I think to some point AWS side, it was a, hey, hyperscalers are all about how can we get more data pushed up through the pipeline into the cloud because more data equals more money and more money equals job security and all of those other things. I think we are almost seeing maybe a bit of a step back because hyperscalers have probably come to the realization that we're not going to just be able to go push all of our data up directly to the cloud. As much as Vlad would like to do control in the cloud, it, it causes issues, right? And it may not, it may be more than just 40 or 50 or $100,000 a month in 
services and internet bill issues, but it's going to cause issues with latency and everything else. So I, especially while I was at Hanover, saw a bit of a step back off of what I've seen online, basically saying, hey, there are absolutely good reasons to go leverage cloud services, to, to go leverage hyperscaler services. But first, we need to do a little bit of contextualization. We need to have a better idea and understanding of what and why we are sending the data to the cloud. Now, it could be the fact that I had a litmus badge around my neck the whole week, Vlad, which is why everyone was was gushing about how well litmus does this. Or it could be that, that a lot of people have learned a lot of difficult and hard and expensive lessons as to the best direction and the best way to, to go ahead and push everything to the cloud. But I think we'll see a lot of cloud and edge uh, combination services, whether it being with Litmus and a hyperscaler, whether it being with someone else and a private cloud. I think that there are a bunch of different opportunities when it comes to both of, I think that there are a bunch of different opportunities when it comes to both of those. Wallet Hanover, I, Dave, on the Litmus side, had a conversation with Simon Floyd, who is the He's what the director of manufacturing and transportation uh, period for Google, right? So we were up there, we were having a conversation. We, we did a talk and it basically included, hey, we need some sort of edge as well as cloud architecture in order to best help manufacturers and best build the architecture for the future. Yeah, and I would say like my comment to that is the architecture is complex, right? And I think we've covered it multiple times on the channel, but there's a lot of nuances I think that you realize which make it so that you need both cloud as well as edge, but in different, I want to say like application layers, right? And so what what Kevin had brought up, which again, I think me and you have debated this off stream a couple of times, but it's the amount of data that you want to be collecting, processing, making maybe even like decisions on. And I think that maybe I want to throw this question to our audience. So if you're watching us live, I'm curious how your facility or how your company is approaching collecting data from the plant floor. And if you're listening to us in podcast form a week from now, hopefully then write us a note. I think that we also had a very interesting conversation with Rija this week that kind of, I want to say, intertwined into this topic but ultimately i think that more and more factories will collect more and more data the fact structure it and pinpoint accurately what they want to apply is debatable but i think everyone's going to have almost like their own take right as we talked about it it's like a spectrum you either want to narrow down on the specific use case and you only collect that or you use the water hose approach which is like collect everything and then figure out what you can use so like I said, I'd be curious to hear from our audience, maybe if there's some comments from people that are approaching manufacturing data. But uh, yeah, to get back to like, maybe your point, I think we will always need some sort of a device on the edge. And there's a lot of, I think, like understanding that falls into that because it can be a PC, it can be a PLC, it could be an IPC, right? So there's different flavors of what that truly means. But I think that for me, if we want to get into a little bit of a definition, Dave, it is something that processes the data before it's sent up, right? So you're not just connecting to a bunch of different devices directly from the cloud. You're able to create buffers. And I think we talked again, like with Rija a little bit about this. But again, 
the point I'm going to make is it's interesting to see how the industry is going to progress, right? Whether it is going to be more on the cloud side or more on the edge side. I think there's also, and we've explored this many times, the question of cybersecurity. So if I'm air gap, then I'm not connecting to the cloud at all. If I'm, how to say it, if I'm fearing for cybersecurity, right? Or if I have more fear of the data leaking out, then I'm going to be using more edge. But in any case, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. I would agree with that. I'm going to go throw up Hank's comment here because every time Vlad goes talk about saying how he wants to collect every piece of data, that Hank's answer is kind of also my answer. And Hank says that he's been to plants where the answer is collecting data question mark. I think that as, as awesome as it is to be able to go talk about how we go and deliver solutions and varying types of edge versus edge and cloud or just directly to cloud or any of these, there is still a not insignificant portion of groups who are doing a poor job or are not collecting data. Or if we are collecting data, we are collecting data or collecting data by hand and maybe not we're doing anything with it. So I would say that certainly collecting data on my side is just the first step, right? We could go and put down, I don't know, half a dozen architectures or a dozen, 500 architectures fairly simply. And if we're not going to go leverage what that looks like into making and into going driving results, right? Which is, which is basically the theme that we were talking about here. It becomes a, why are we going through and, and doing this? So Vlad threw up a comment from Hellman saying that I work in the aerospace industry. We are in the process of digitizing all the machinery data and bring the data from OT to IT. We're planning to use OPCUA and some companion specifications. I think it's ultimately, is it safe to use OPCUA to write data controls to the OT network or should I use OPCUA just for reading data? That's a good question. I guess let me touch upon protocols because we've talked a bunch about protocols. I think OPCUA is a great protocol. We've certainly talked a bunch about OPCUA. We've certainly talked a bunch about MQT, especially Sparkplug B on this show. I think OPCUA is a great protocol. If you guys already have OPC UA servers, if you already know how to use OPC UA to go make those connections, I think that is perfectly fine. As to is it safe to use OPC UA to write data controls onto the OT network? That's a different question that goes back to what does the cybersecurity look like? What are you looking to go write? Is it like actually to the controls or are you just looking to go push it back and forth and have like a two-way channel onto the networks? And I Every time I don't give a good answer, I feel like the consultant over here, Vlad, but I feel like that's very much going to be application specific and understanding what you guys are looking to do and understanding kind of the direction that you guys want to go as, as a company. And I think a lot of that is probably on the cybersecurity side more than anything else, right? Are we putting a one-way data diode out if we're having two-way communication via that OPC UA server and it's on the IT network? Are we worried about cybersecurity and maybe should we be worried about cybersecurity? So I think all those are good questions, but that's very much a probably a much higher level question of what does risk and risk tolerance and what does risk mitigation look like on the particular application? Vlad, do you have any other any other thoughts on the question? Yeah, I guess like for me, safety also involves the personnel safety, right? Or physical safety 
that is tied to the process and then safety you could also ask that maybe is it safe for the product right i've certainly done a lot of food and beverage projects and so safety could also involve the quality of the product but i guess again without knowing too many details i think that from a protocol standpoint you can certainly transmit that data right but i think from cybersecurity standpoint as you've mentioned it it will be like a to be determined what are you actually sending and what are you actually affecting and then from a physical safety again in my experience you should be limiting the writing of variables that could affect anything that might be dangerous so for example i would not necessarily write data to a robotic cell or something that might affect the functionality of a process that might be how to, and again like i don't want to get into a lot of the details on safety but you can certainly do a lot of quote unquote questionable things by sending data from the IT side that could be vulnerable to an attacker, but could simply miscalculate something and then affect your process and or the safety of the personnel. So I think if the question is purely from a protocol standpoint, I think the protocol is fine. You'll be able to send the data, but in other areas, you would need to conduct the risk analysis as Dave suggested. But maybe if we go back to Hank's point, like collecting data, I've certainly spoke to a lot of engineers that come to me with the same question and a lot of times at least in my experience this would be on the proof of concept side right so a engineering manager or process manager operations manager will come to the engineering or maintenance team and ask them like hey can we collect and trend some of the data of our process and this could be some temperatures this could be calculating how many boxes have we produced and a plan that's not extremely how to say like automated you would have like one of those proxies at the end of the line and they would just throw this up on a display let's say or they have a status of the line so the engineers are asking how can we collect something as simple as that and just this proof of concept display it and i think that the immediate value again the first proof of concept right before you're committing any money to a full plant rollout if you can just collect that data into a Raspberry Pi, IPC, PLC. There's a few like very cheap solutions that you can use just to demonstrate, hey, you can literally save that data and trend it on something that is like a phone or a computer that doesn't require an engineering workstation, right? Because I think me and you, Dave, we can connect to the PLC over the Rockwell solution or the Siemens solution and I can trend, I can see whatever I need. And usually the engineers can do that but that data is then not available to the ops manager who needs to make a decision what's based on what's happening on their shift. So I think there's a lot of proof of concept solutions that can be done very cheaply. So I really, to Hank's point, I don't understand when plants ask me like collecting data question mark. It just means that they have a lack of personnel that's willing to figure this out or they just have zero budget or you know they just don't understand maybe the value of collecting some of that data. But I think as well, I, I guess I want to dig into to that point a little bit. Right. So we were sure. talking on the Kevin side about the hyperscaler. I think to, yep. to that point, it is like the exact opposite. Right. So most of the plants, most of the groups that I talk to that aren't collecting data are generally groups that have engineering maintenance teams that have been at that facility their entire career. Right. So they come in. They learn what has worked at the facility for the last 20 or 50 or 100 years, 
And that is what they know. And if they don't go and learn new tools, if they are not out in the, the depths of the internet going and arguing about different ways to graphically and visually represent things, right? If we're not in the process of doing this and all is that one facility and we don't hire mid and experienced engineers because our company's goal is to hire June and run them up the ranks, then you're never going to have that outside knowledge, right? And it may at that point be, we do need to collect data, right? Everyone is talking about collecting data. Maybe corporate is demanding we do some sort of digital transformation. We do some sort of industry 4.0 solution, but we don't know how to do it. So I think that there, I see a number of groups, I see a number of large groups, and I've had this conversation with a number of large groups who you wouldn't think would have this problem, go and have this problem. And so I think that's the exact opposite of, of the hyperscaler conversation of sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And coming from our perspective, I think it is very much, I think it is very much an issue of if you don't know what you don't know, you don't know the right questions to ask. And if you don't bring the right people in to help show and guide where they need to be, you just may never get there. We've actually got a comment from Hank in here saying that he has to plant how much does an hour of downtime cost in a certain line. And they had no idea. And it makes it tough to justify process improvements if they don't know what the savings are going to be. And I agree with that. I have certainly worked with plants that like it's a sometimes we know what downtime is going to look like. Sometimes we know what scrap is going to look like really well. Other times it's uh, they just shrug your shoulders. So you got to do a bit of a back of the napkin. Hey, this is what we in theory do over the course of the year. This is how long we run. This is what costs look like to, to get some sort of round, to get some sort of round number as to what downtime looks like. Hopefully in that instance, Hank, they've got an idea of what the revenue of the facility looks like and how many hours in theory they run over the course of the year in order to, in order to move forward with that. And then Brian is in the comments saying return on investment, need the return on investment. How do you launch without it? I think that is, I think all of those are really good points, but I also think many times people are like, Hey, we need to go solve this spot problem. And yeah, I think many times people are like, Hey, we need to go solve this spot problem. This is how to go solve the spot problem. Yeah. I, look, Dave, I will make the comment that I think what's going to happen in reality is the companies that will optimize their cost of product out the door, right? The average, again, we can get into the calculation, but every plant is most likely, or from my experience, calculates what does it cost them to make a bottle of whatever, right? It could be like ketchup, it could be a package of some, it could be a pallet. And so the plants that will optimize that cost will most likely purchase or buy out the plants that cannot optimize it. And what I mean by that is from like a pure business perspective, I think that they will just push out plants that have absolutely no idea of what's going on in their operations out of the market. And I think like we see this all the time. There's a lot of consolidation happening, even in the large companies. I think the example that I can use is Yokelay had a plant back in, if I'm not mistaken, it was like 2012 that was running very poorly and they essentially closed down the facility. And that's when the current CEO, I guess, and owner of Chobani came in, bought the plant for like pennies on the dollar. They just, they essentially abandoned the plant. He got all of that equipment literally for scrap metal price 
and he started up now like a multi-billion dollar company because again they are very and it's not again i'm not going to paint a picture that it was only solely based on data right yep. like the, don't get me wrong there's also like a product there's marketing there's a lot of there's a lot of other i want to say like extrinsic extrinsic factors that play into this but ultimately they are very data driven they understand the the process and so if you have teams that are too relaxed i almost tend to say that it's almost it goes against the engineering approach right as an engineer you should be learning new technologies you should be always looking at ways to do new things and i don't think it's an excuse to say we've hired somebody 20 years ago so they're going to absolutely never do anything outside of what the factory has been doing so i look i understand that's what happens and that's the reality but i think that if i was in a management role at that facility even if i'm not let's say highly technical i could see what's happening outside of my horizon because that's what a leader is paid to do also and i would try and instill a culture that is to some extent trying new things right and i'm not trying to sell this as every industry 4.0 aiot digital transformation initiative is going to be highly successful and propel you to the stratosphere but what I'm trying to say is that you should be experimenting. You should be, again, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, and we've talked about this, and there's a lot of facilities implementing OE metrics. They're implementing condition monitoring. They're implementing fault-finding tools. So it, there's a lot of things that you should be at least looking at. And if you're not, I really think you're just going to be bought out at some point by a company that has better technology. And one last thing, like I'll mention, and I think I've talked about this on stream. Again, I went to this co-packer, of, uh, of beer here locally about now maybe six months to a year ago. And they had like fully like digitally integrated systems where you could place an order through their website. It will be scheduled down to the production line. It would be prioritized based on the quantity of product, based on OEE. So it's like fully integrated, right? Mm -hmm. And I've not seen any of this from large co-packers. So at some point, if the small company can make innovations like that, and they capture some of the market because of how easy it is for the customer, right? Like the focus is on the customer, for the customer to place orders with them, they will just scale and then purchase the companies that cannot adopt such technology. So I think it's always thinking, what are we providing that's better for the end customer? <clears throat> and I like that, Vlad. And I always love your just sheer optimism about all of these topics. Every time we talk about it, I just love your sheer optimism. I look forward to the point in Manufacturing Hub when you're an operations manager and you come on and you complain about X, Y, and Z things happening and be like, Vlad, where's the extra 20 hours that you have over the course of your week to, to go figure out these new technologies or something along those lines? But no, I agree with you. I think that we will certainly find a lot of haves and have nots as we move forward, again, I think that there are some organizations so large that they continue to be large because they are just large. And it is difficult to fail sometimes when you are as large as some of these major organizations. But yeah, absolutely. Beyond that, I think that we will certainly see the need for data and data collection and understanding what that means. And I think that we will see some groups succeed and some groups fail based upon based upon kind of everything that we have discussed 
here. Let's go ahead. Let me give a quick recap of Tommy. So Tommy and I had a conversation at Hanover. If anyone has been looking for the podcast, I had to go get the backup of the audio recording because I think there was a restream or audio issue on the restream. So I'm in the process of working on that. It will go up at some point, at some point, either later today or over the weekend. So you guys can go ahead and check on that. But I'm excited that I was able to uh, to grab the audio. Tommy has this really interesting background, right? So right now he is he works for Nokia. He is on the product side. I don't know if he is head of product for connected. We would almost call it like connected enterprise, leveraging a lot very similar to the Litmus platform that we had talked about. But his he is from Finland. I think he listens to the show. He says sometimes he goes for walks and listens to, to the show. So if you're listening to this, Tommy, thank you again for coming and chatting. His background is he worked in oil refineries, right? And for those guys, an extra 2 to 5% is huge on the profitability side. So he spent a number of years running and building this bespoke solution, as I would call it, in order to go collect everything and analyze the data and then get to the point of leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning. Somewhere along the way, he, he transitioned over to Nokia, where he is trying to go build that in a scalable way. And for me, that was a lot of conversations that, that I had at Hanover is, hey, we built a solution and the solution that we built worked really well. But as I try to go move it to the second line or the 20th line or the third or the fourth or the fifth facility, it becomes really difficult to go take my bespoke solution, maybe because we did not build it in a way that was easily, easily scalable. And so I think that we are seeing a lot of groups looking both how do we build the solution better because we've already made this mistake. But I think we also see a lot of groups who have maybe learned those lessons through other companies and other organizations saying, hey, we had X, Y, and Z struggles. What is the best way to go about not running into that issue, not running into that issue with this next company and this next organization? All right. What about or what are your thoughts on the conversation we had with Rija this week, Dave? I thought it was really interesting, right? Like I, I thought I think that that kind of very much dovetailed into the conversations that I just discussed that we we're having at Hanover, right? It's a and I think it, it's interesting, right? So we talked to a lot of especially before this, a lot of people who are doing who are building kind of a solution back and I will have to go look it up, but we had Joseph Devalio on maybe six weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, he was talking a bit about hyperconvergence. He was talking a bit about hyperscaler. He was talking about putting solutions into the cloud and leveraging the cloud for that scalability. And I have been, I don't know if it's, I'm hearing it more and more after that, or if it's, I'm having more and more of those conversations of, hey, how do we go about the process of actually scaling this? And so on my side, I'm hearing more of those conversations. I'm hearing the, hey, we need to go down the path of collecting data. And maybe we did a proof of concept, but looking at this proof of concept, I can see that this is obviously like, th this isn't gonna scale to the next three to five facilities. So how do we go build this in a way that does scale to the next three to five facilities? Because we have done enough to wet our whistle, if you will, but we haven't done enough to go build it in a scalable solution. And to pull it back to Rija, I thought it was a great conversation. I thought that it was very interesting. And I think that his kind of pain points are even more extrapolated because he had, he was talking about 
two, three, four different continents that, that they had facilities and were trying to go roll out solutions to those facilities. And I really appreciated his comments of, hey, we went to go attempt to build an MES. COVID happened. We lost the budget to MES, but we still had this team. So our conversations were, how can we go deploy and deliver value without having this much larger, much more expensive, much more bespoke MES structure. Yeah, and I would say that like one comment that I made, which maybe goes back to my previous uh, comment on data, was the fact that they are testing solutions, right? Like even though they are a very small company in all things considered, they have eight plants, so they're not the large like Procter & Gamble's or Fords of the world or whatever have you, they are still investing resources in having an internal, right? So this is not even some like consulting service that they're paying for, but they have an internal center where they're testing these different solutions and they're figuring out what works for them, what doesn't work for them, what is like an important factor. And if you're curious about that conversation, he listed a lot of different sort of metrics that they use internally to understand what would work for them. And I think the comment he made is that if you're looking to, for example, to collect data or you're looking at any other industry for that O or IIT, whatever you call it, solution, you should first figure out what makes sense and what is the important factors for you, right? So I think that he made that comment. And I think the fact that they're doing that internally is mm -hmm. extremely important. And I think that, Absolutely. again, to go back to Hank's point, I think if there's a facility that just says pure like question marks, maybe they should reconsider the strategy. And look, I understand the comments of there might not be enough like time for somebody to look into. Maybe there's like a personnel issue. Maybe we need to hire more people to figure this out or hire somebody like Rija to be leading this change. And we talked about that a little bit too, right? He made some comments about generalist versus specialist. So maybe there's just not a person that can dedicate the time to research what those solutions look like and properly bring them in. I'm, how to say it, like I, I made the comment of maybe they're not getting the data because of technical reasons, but maybe there's just not the right person in place. So in any case, my comments, and maybe to close off on that conversation with Rija, was that I really like the fact that they're a, still a relatively small company that is investing in mm -hmm. people that can look at those solutions and they have the systems in place to audit, but also test different applications, understand what value they bring to the organization. And then as he had described like a couple of projects, deploy them to facilities on the plant floor at the operator level that they're not imposing the solutions, but they really understand the needs and deploy them to the right people. I think that was extremely well explained by him in that episode. I, I would agree with that. I am sure that you loved his comments upon the internal testing lab that, that they had. I guess I want to have a bit of a conversation on that. I guess in your opinion, Vlad, do you think that more people need to go spend the time and the money testing internally? Or do you think that there are enough known architectures and solutions that the majority of groups can go pick one of those and then find solutions partners in order to go help deploy what that looks like. I think that you should certainly invest capital in testing and turn, right? So I even made mm -hmm. the comment, I think during that conversation that I think that in the current landscape of different solutions, 
there there is a lot of noise right there's a lot of different players and the reality isn't that they're necessarily building bad solutions but it's more i think that there's solutions that are more suitable for different verticals right and they meet certain very specific needs and i think without testing yourself it becomes difficult to truly understand the value that specific solution will bring for you and i think that the trap that many or at least some companies that I've spoken to fall into is that they rely on a third party that then still has a learning curve of your facility, apply that solution. So I think that at the end, what happens is that the fit of the solution is not ideal. And obviously we can discuss like how ideal it needs to be, but I think that there were better solutions if you were to test and go through that process before you confirm what you're going to be doing. I guess to answer your question, I think that you should be investing money and time in validating the solutions that you pick. And it could be through the third party, right? Like the third party could bring here the top three solutions. Let's test them internally, understand like what the nuances are, and then we're going to go and deploy. But I think skipping that step, which again, I've seen a lot in the industry, is detrimental. And I will make the last comment on that is, a lot of the third parties are also incentivized to bring a certain solution to light. So it's also important to work with people who can be a bit impartial on, on those mm -hmm. solutions. Absolutely. I think that understanding why you are going to use whatever solution it is that you're going to use and having at least some amount of internal knowledge is good. There, there are some groups, it's not Vlad, it's not myself, but there are some groups who make their money off of embedding lots of resources and going and building a solution and then having one, two, five, ten people just go live on site to go run those solutions for the next two decades. Again, not our businesses. Many people have been very successful with it. It is not how either of us have opted to, to spend our lives. And it's not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with it, but as Vlad has said, and I think as we talked with Regia a bit about vendor lock-in, right? No one particularly likes vendor lock-in and code that you can't get to. No one likes vendor lock-in and code that you can't get to. But when we look at that, it should also be the same with control systems, right? Like we should have people on site or we should have a path to go train and bring those people up to speed on how to go run systems and there are a number of groups out there who will help you go ahead and do that let's transition slightly over to hanover vlad i'll let you go ahead and ask me some questions it looks like the first question here. came in for you what, what i, I was going to say i o link dave at hanover yeah so i had rich i had rich up here rich mcdonald rich thank you for asking the question i guess from my side i o link isn't anything particularly new for me i've spent a bunch of years on the i've spent a bunch of years working with the banner and the turk and the ifms of the world so for me for me io link is a fairly normal fairly common thing i'm a big fan of io link it is about as close to, to plug and play a, as we can possibly get so i'm a big fan of io link i did see some io link safety come up i think i saw where I don't know if they were wireless or wired e-stops up in pictures. And so I thought that th those were interesting. I have not done any work with IOLink safety in the past, but again, I consider IOLink is like the most basic level of communications protocol. And if we're going to look at IOLink as the most basic communications level of protocol for an industry 4.0 or digital transformation, I'm happy to go ahead and call it that. 
I think that we need, well, I guess I didn't realize until maybe this podcast when, when Vlad maybe learned about IOLink or someone learned about IOLink as we were having a conversation here. So a big fan of IOLink in general. A couple of other, a couple of other note, kind of high level notes that, that I will make on Hanover. And then I'll let ask me some questions. One, holy crap, it's big. So I've been told that, that it is large. I've been told that when we fill all of the halls, it's four times the size of McCormick Center in Chicago. It is big. Yeah, it is big. I did not make it everywhere. There, there were a couple of times where my Apple Watch is, Dave, are you in a workout? And I'm just like trying to walk fairly quickly from one hall to the next because they're like, I don't know, a quarter of a mile or half a mile away. And so it, it was a lot of fun. I got to go hang out with some folks from Siemens. I got to go hang out with some folks from Phoenix Contact. And for me, it was a lot of fun, right? So I've been to Automation Fair a couple of times. I really liked it because I got to see most of the Siemens ecosystem. I got to see most of the Phoenix Contact ecosystem in one place. I took a step back at one point to go take a picture of the Phoenix Contact booth to, to send to Zach Stank, a big fan of the show. We will see him at Automate. And I'm like, Zach, I don't know how you're going to fit this like 200 by 200 or 100 by 100 booth, foot booth into the automate booth, but I am very excited for it. And then Siemens was like an entire town by itself. It had a couple of different sections, had this cafe, it had this speaker section, and it was like dead silent comparative to everything else. Saw a lot of vertical farming, which was very interesting. As I described to all of the, as I described to all of the Europeans, I love the concept. I love the concept of hyperlocal. It is not a big American or North American concept, but I'm hopeful we'll see more of it. And then I think I made that comment online and I had a couple of people comment as to vertical farming initiatives that, that they have done. So perhaps in the future, we'll go spend some time at a vertical farming initiative. I don't know how we would capture video of that. I would just spend the entire time with my neck pointed upward looking, uh, but, but that would be a lot of fun. Let's see, what else did I see? I saw a bunch of comments and talking about single pair ethernet. SPE. Again, meters over to feet have, have confused and rattled my brain a little bit, but I think current, I think current ethernet is you can get like 200 feet of run or something along those lines. With single pair ethernet, you can connect basically as many sensors as you want, and you can run up to a thousand meters in one stretch, which is really interesting. I saw Phoenix talk about it. I saw a couple of other groups talk about single pair, pair single pair ethernet as well. Saw a lot of DC to DC and other electric vehicle charging, which I thought was very interesting. And then it gets to the standardization that Europe has with chargers and the lack of standardization that North America has with chargers, which it is what it is. But no, it was amazing. I really enjoyed seeing a lot of the ecosystems. And then I got, to, I was right next to the Google booth with Litmus. Litmus are Google partners. So I was right next to the Google booth. And then I knew a bunch of people in the Microsoft booth. I saw the Tulip folks in the Microsoft booth. I saw the inductive automation folks, and I saw the high bite folks in the in the AWS booth, sorry, I'm trying to, uh, to to remember which booth is which. And as I said towards the beginning, you can see that the hyperscalers are not dead, right? They may have, they may be re-strategizing the direction that they're going to go to continue to hit on manufacturing, but the digital services are absolutely not dead.
Were there any interesting like tech unveilings? I know you mentioned the single pair Ethernet cables, but I think like yep. Litmus had a, a new service that they announced. I believe that Siemens has like their new like virtual controller they announced. Like anything else that like maybe stands out. I'm curious if you have memories of something really big being announced or unveiled at the show. Yeah, so when I was there, Litmus announced either right before or during a major partnership with Nokia, which I can say now. I thought it was out in the open before I went, but we got to spend a bunch of time with the folks at Nokia. Siemens was continuing to talk about and unveil their... Oh, Burned is going to kill me because I'm going to get it wrong again. I believe it's their virtual PLC, which is similar in concept to a soft PLC. but So Bern Reithal, he was on the show a month or six weeks ago. We will see him at Automate. We'll talk more about this at Automate. His comment was basically, as opposed to going and making major changes to IDEs or the TIA portal for future PLCs, they're going to basically standardize on one, this virtual PLC style software. And then all of the IPCs, all of the S7-1500s, kind of everything that gets rolled out into the future. Hardware may change, but they're going to standardize on this as the software platform to go ahead and make it easier. So in theory, Vlad could go program something on a virtual PLC on his computer. He could go test it out, and then he could go flip the code into an S7-1500, into an IPC, into something along those lines. And it should it should be a seamless transition. I thought that that was very interesting. I did not sit through a bunch of other kind of major announcements, mostly because if there were other major announcements, I didn't hear about them. Again, like you you get off the train and you wait in a five to seven minute line in order to just with the exhibitor pass on the fast lane to go ahead and get in. And then it's like a four or five minute walk to the set of halls that you're in. And then it is just so much it is just so much. I know that there were a number of announcements. So as I understand it, Hanover is a place that m- many people go make their announcements every year as to as to what is going on. So I'm sure there, there were other announcements. I maybe not did not catch all of them. I did not get to go sit through major unveilings or anything like that. I know about 10 years ago, they did a major unveiling of the S7 1500. Now, 10 years later, their Siemens major unveiling was the virtual PLC. Again, I know single pair Ethernet was big. Oh, nope. I was Phoenix Contact unveiled some sort of new box style PC that we will have some more content coming out. That we'll have some more content coming out about, but a bunch of really interesting things. In fact, there were so many interesting things. It felt like it was almost a detractor from major advances. Again, single pair Ethernet, thousand meter runs of cabling took the backseat to a bunch of other things that, that we were talking about, but that's because there's just so much. Interesting. What was the audience like at Hanover? Was it geared towards like engineers? Was there a lot of maybe decision makers, a lot of people in sales marketing? What was your pulse maybe on who visits Hanover if it is different than a feel from a, a convention in U.S.? So I think most people visit Hanover, especially in Europe and Asia. I feel like it is the place to go. I had many conversations with people as to what is the comparison? What is the Hanover version 
what is Hanover in North America, the United States? And after having been there, I can tell you, Vlad, there is literally nothing in comparison that we have in North America. There was talks about like when IMTS and, and Hanover USA get together every other year. But it's still like maybe a quarter of the size. So I would say that I had conversations, lots of decision makers, lots of engineers, lots of senior engineers. I had people interested in specific types of applications. I had people going, especially folks that know us from the show, going. We we were opening laptops. We were talking about architecture. And then on the other side, we had Friday, basically like the day that the local school children get to come through on friday it was like that i thought that it was fairly busy i think the number i heard was approximately seventy thousand people came through which i thought was good traffic i would also tell you that that is down from like the high peaks of 250,000. But at 250,000, that's like shoulder to shoulder in the aisle. No one can have a conversation. I thought it was good traffic. I thought that there were a bunch of people who were interested in having valid conversations about a bunch of things. We probably had, I don't know, maybe a couple of dozen people come up to say hi because they know us from the show, many of whom I did not know before that. So all of that was really awesome. And it was great to hear how most people are having similar conversations, similar difficulties uh, across the globe as what we're talking on here. Awesome. I really hope that uh, we have the opportunity to go back maybe as the manufacturing hub duo next year. So if if there's any interest in, in the current viewers slash listeners to have us at their booth, certainly reach out to us. But I do want to point out before we wrap things up, in this stream that me and Dave are both going to be at Automate 2023 and we will be at hopefully several booths, but we will certainly be doing rounds. We will be walking around the show and shaking hands, but also reviewing some of the technological advancements and looking at different new things in automation. So I think it's going to be really interesting and that's going to be May 22nd to the 25th in Detroit, Michigan. So if you are listening to us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, if you're listening to this podcast when it is released, there is certainly still time to purchase your tickets to attend the show and to come see us live in person at the, I don't want to say the largest automation show in North America, but I think it was certainly extremely popular last year. I've seen a lot of videos and I think like me and you were thinking about going, but last minute MIA got canceled. So we shuffled around our plans and didn't make it, but I am certainly looking forward to being at Automate this year. And I think Hank Priam is putting a smiley face. He's going to be there and it's going to be really cool. What are your thoughts, Dave? I'm looking forward to Automate. Automate last year, I was somewhere in the wilds of Canada as I was heading to to Alaska. And so this year I had the week blocked out to make sure that I wasn't in the middle of the forest somewhere to to go. I'm looking to go. I always think of Automate as the big robotic. So I will expect lots of robotic arms. I will, yeah, I'll expect lots of robotic arms. I'll expect lots of interesting conversations that we get to have. And I'm looking forward to it. Stay tuned to this channel, Manufacturing Hub, Vlad and myself, as we go and talk a little bit more about what we're planning to do. I hope in the next week or so we will confirm kind of dates and times of exactly where we will be. 
if y'all would like to uh, to come hang out with us in a variety of booths in person. But I do know that we've got a time limit on this, and we need to say goodbye. Vlad, do you want to go close us out, or you want me to ask people to like, subscribe, and say goodbye? No, I, I can get it done, Dave. So everyone, thank you so much for listening live and or in podcast form. If you've made it this far, please make sure to leave us a comment, subscribe to our channels, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn, as well as any other podcast channels that you're listening to this on highly appreciate your reviews those are always welcome especially by the algorithms but also us i think we certainly appreciate people letting us know what they like about the show and maybe what changes they would like to see so make sure to leave us a comment make sure to leave us a positive review and let us know and that being said we will see you next month where we are kicking off a new theme And that's going to be Efficient Engineering, sponsored by Siemens. It's going to be a lot of very good conversations. And thank you, everyone, for watching. And we'll see you next week. Thank you, everyone. Awesome. See everyone soon. Bye-bye.